The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Three men with identities forged in the white-hot fires of the 90s comic book boom. Now ready to re-examine the era where heroes became extreme and what magazine gave rise to a market of speculation. If you've got the guts, prepare to enter the world of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. Greetings, geeks, and welcome to episode 41 of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. The podcast where we re-examine the 90s comic book boom through the pages of Wizard Magazine. Still surprised that Lady Death, Lady Rawhide, and Lady Deathstrike never got their own team-up book called The Lady Bunch. I'm Adam, and here's the story of some busty ladies who were draw scantily clad in comic books. Hey, you know it, sing along! This time around... Filling in for the missing and presumed nerdy, Michael and Steven are a trio of comic book fans who get amazing interviews with comics legends on their YouTube channel simply by asking nicely. It's time for a Dollar Bin Bandits podcast roll call. I'm Orrin Phillips. Nice to meet y'all. I'm Joe Marcello. And I'm Mike Farah. All right, guys. Well, this is awesome. I, I gotta say, you guys really are knocking it out of the park when you're interviewing these comics legends. You get people like William Mester Loves, Walt Simonson, Eric Larson, I mean, among many others, Ron Mars. I mean, it's great. You know, our interviews are with people who wrote about people that you interview. So, <laughs> but for those who haven't yet checked out the Dollar Bin Bandits, what is the philosophy behind your program? Uh, honestly, this is all Orrin's brainchild. We're three guys. You know, we've been friends since high school. We have very little time for socializing nowadays. But when we do, we're doing this. So Orrin had the idea like, hey, we all like comics. Let's try to interview comic book creators, artists, the people that made this stuff happen for us, when, you know, when we were kids. So Orrin has a, um, a reporting background. So, you know, he just reaches out to these people and they couldn't be nicer. I think for me, it's sort of a, a good way to, sort, to say thank you to a lot of these folks to hear their stories and get to thank them for what they brought to our lives. For me, that's a very important part of it. What do you say, Mike? I, I'm agreeing with both of them. I mean, I can't, I'm sort of Donnie come lately on the show. Orrin and Joe started this a few months before I hopped on board, but I really enjoyed what they were doing. And it really is, you know, very reverential to the creators. And these are folks that really brought a lot of joy into our lives. They still do. And to Orrin's point, a way of giving back and giving them the microphone and a voice to tell us about what they went through in the industry and some of their favorite stories and talk about all the characters and stories that we all grew up on. Thrilled to be a part of it. So if you guys have not checked it out, by the end of this episode, you will want to find out what they're doing over there on Dollar Bin Bandits. But, you know, now it sounds like we know what you're doing now, but let's hear about <laughs> the old days of comic collecting as you tell us your origin story. So, Oren, why don't you kick us off? Boy, for me, it was my dad who got me into them. He bought me a Spider-Man book when I was about four, and he'd read it to me. We'd go to a Chinese restaurant, and we'd he'd read it to me while we ate. Uh, so I was a big part of my life for a long time. 
Then about 94, 95, I started to get out of it a little bit just because I started discovering girls. And in high school, it wasn't such a cool thing to be a comic fan where I was. And, you know, all the poly bags and this, that, and the other thing. But less than 10 years ago, my children started being a little more interested in comics. So I was like, oh, this is a perfect opportunity for me to jump right back into where I was. And I've done that. Fantastic. What about you, Joe? The moment that piqued my interest, really, getting into comics was the death of Superman. I had, you know, as many of us have been as kids we love superman we love superheroes my superman will always be christopher reeve and i have to thank orin and mike basically for getting me into comics because they're the ones you know i would go to their house i would go to mike's house and he would have stacks and stacks of boxes and you know unread comics and i would thumb through them and you know one day they were just like well dude why why don't you start collecting so time passes death of superman comes out and i was like wait a second superman can die that was a big deal and and it, w- it was actually a novelization paperback version of The Death of Superman that I first read. And I was like, wow, this is great. So it must be even better with pictures. <laughs> so I started uh, get collecting the back issues. And pretty much since then, I was, you know, onward and upward, as they say, collecting whatever I can get my hands on. Wow, it started as actual literature for you. It really was. <laughs> I was like, they make comics into books. Wow, that's awesome. Maybe they'll make movies of them someday. Yeah, speaking of which, in this issue, there is an ad for some Spider-Man books. I don't know if you guys came across these at all, but they're really interesting because I had them and wrote book reports about them. It was The Venom Factor and then The Ultimate Spider-Man Collection. One was by Diane Duane. I'll never forget that name, but it was like a full story about Venom. The other one was like a collection of short stories about Spider-Man. So reading comics as books was something I very familiar with as well but mike where did all your stacks come from well uh i think uh, joe's being generous there i'm not sure i had that many comics, <laughs> maybe to our uh, novice eyes it was you know a huge amount but um i i'm actually sort of the middle domino in this domino effect here so if Oren's sort of the originator of comics interest i was the next in line to fall so he really introduced me to comics there was a store that was fairly close to us as well as one that we had to drive to or made our parents drive to I think before we were driving and showed me the ropes showed me like what these things are we were into baseball cards before so we kind of had the collecting gene and this brought just another dimension to things I mean having something to read having something to really enjoy the art for and and coming back to it week after week was just really interesting and I think I probably started uh, eclipsing Oren in the collecting especially as he sort of faded in 94 and then I think Joe took up the mantle after that. So <laughs> it was really kind of this nice sort of passing of the baton <laughs> between all three of us. Oh, and I ran with it, man. I ran with that. That's so awesome. I love how you guys are just encouraging each other, influencing each other, all of that. You know, and here's the thing. You guys were lucky enough to be face-to-face talking comics, but there were comics fans that didn't have that luxury. They had to write into a magazine to find someone to talk about comics with. And that means it's time to open up. Willie Lumpkin's Mailbag. Ooh, 
So our first letter here is actually a follow-up to correspondence from a previous issue wherein a female comics fan wrote in to tell Wizard about the inequality of hot guys in comics for women to enjoy. She was mainly saying, I don't like Wolverine, he's gross, Prophet's kind of cute, so on and so forth. And so Wizard challenged her. They said, we want to hear more. Explain to us what girls want from comics, basically, is what they were saying. So here is her, her response here. Thanks for responding to my letter and for taking an interest in the subject. Anyway, here's what I came up with. Women want better, not bigger. Well, some things can be accentuated a little more. We want better looking guys john prophet rogue prime the punisher and daniel from hellshock are what we want more of regarding ideal physiques guys who are tough but not ugly and we don't care if they're good or bad but we definitely need smaller outfits tighter and thinner would be nice too as far as women's roles go she's an example to follow because she's intelligent and kicks ass and because when she's nude it makes sense she's meditating cool that's very creative on the author's part and literally responsible too but i really can't figure out why all the other comic book women are only wearing thong bathing suit leotard deals at most and look like they're cruising for dates while they are in fact trying to fight the forces of evil i can't figure that i'd like to see a wider range of roles for females maybe some tougher characters soldiers pilots hired assassins whatever just not the same barbie bimbos i see so much of now oh and one last comment hooray for rob liefeld for ripping John Prophet's outfit after he battled the Bloodstrike team in Prophet number two. The hero's costumes can't be made smaller for some reason, then maybe they can just get ripped to shreds occasionally. That'd be great! (laughs) (laughs) This gal sounds like a lot of fun. (laughs) I think it's funny that she, at one point, is looking for, you know, new roles for women, which certainly was uh, a valid you know, concern. Uh, but yet when looking at male characters, she's like, nah, get their clothes off, tighten it Time up. Time to flip know, the script. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so she's like, you know, give the men the, the female treatment and then get the, let the females, you know, take the lead in the uh, story and kick ass department. It's only fair. I agree. <laughs> Wizard's response to this is, is that it? Is it as simple as that? There's a certain, some would say large segment of the male comic book buying population that buys books simply because they like seeing scantily clad women. Is the secret to pleasing female comics readers as easy as showing scantily clad men? Can it really be that it's that simple? Maybe. After all, sex sells. That's a surefire marketing plan 100% of the time. Or is it? (laughs) So I think that's pretty great. Yeah, I think she might be in the minority overall, but who knows? Now, on the other side of things, there were some letters here from people that were figuring out comic book secrets, discovering Easter eggs in video games of all places. So this guy writes here, Dear Wizard, I recently purchased Ken Griffey Jr. Presents Major League Baseball for Super Nintendo. While I was checking out the various teams, I noticed that the Houston Astros roster included H. Chaikin. J. Romita, J. Shooter, S. Ditko, J. Kirby, D. Martin, F. Miller, and S. Lee. Do these people know they've now become baseball stars as well as comic book legends? I also discovered that C. Kent, B. Wayne, D. Grayson, B. Banner, G. Gardner, M. Murdoch, B. Grimm, and N. Fury all pitch for the Brewers. 
<laughs> Jason Crumpfmiller, which is a comic book name if I've ever heard one, Gledshaw, Pennsylvania. Uh, and so Jim McLaughlin, who was also involved in Collector's Sports Look that was published by Wizard Press, he says, actually, that game comes preloaded with all sorts of wacky players populating the various teams. You can change the names if you want or play a comic book world series. Mike, you had that game, didn't you? And we thought it was just the worst thing ever. <laughs> I sort of remember it, and I kind of remember also having those sort of Easter egg names in there, but certainly nothing to write home about and nothing to write to Wizard about either. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of things you want to write about, you want the big headlines, the exciting stuff. So it's time to get into Wizard News. Let's go. Marvel has all the headlines this time. As they announced a Marvel Lucian, which means there'll be four different editorial groups. X-Men, headed by Bob Harris. Spider-Man, headed by Bob Budiansky. Marvel Universe, which includes all the 2099 titles. All ages and humor books fall under Mark Ruinwald, Bobby Chase, and Carl Potts. Plus, Stan Lee is reportedly starting his own imprint, Excelsior Comics, but no titles are announced part of Marvel's strategy, is offering personalized comic books that can be given as gifts where any person's name, hometown, and a name of a friend or relative will be worked into the story of the individual becoming Captain Universe. Also included are personalized poster and X-Men trading cards. Just $14.95 plus $2.95 shipping and handling. Do you guys remember this ad? Do you remember seeing, like, the Captain Universe character kind of, like, flying at you? I do. And I never, I was like, oh, that seems neat. And it never really piqued my interest enough to kind of get involved. Yeah, it was like the the G.I. Joes. I had an old ALF comic from Marvel. and There was a G.I. Joe character that you could fill out this survey, and then they would send back to you, like, your G.I joe id card essentially yeah it was a personalized gi joe figure yeah i remember that clearly and i always wanted it never got it (laughs) you guys know anyone that actually participated in this we got to hear from the listeners if you were out there if you became captain universe that christmas of 1994 tell us all about it oh i want to know that's like the ultimate variant because (laughs) it's just one of one oh yeah yeah Unless you're Bob Smith, and then, you know, there could be a hundred. <laughs> All right. Marvel has acquired Welsh Publishing, which has published licensed children's magazines like Mickey Mouse, Barbie, since the 80s, and more recently, Batman and Superman magazine. This is another business acquisition that led to Marvel's bankruptcy as they overextended their corporate operating costs with trading card companies, toy companies, and more. Did you guys ever have one of these kids' magazines that were basically all generic and the same? They just switched out the drawings inside and on the cover? That one I don't remember, I have to say. You you never did those, like, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles magazine or anything? Because they would always end up, like, they would have, like, maybe, like, a comic or a poster inside, but everything else was, like, how to make a face on a piece of toast. (laughs) Or, like, did you know it? Ant can carry seven times its own weight? 
in crossword puzzles or just whatever you know it was just they would they would mix in the licensed characters to it but they were pretty much all the same now superman of batman magazine i felt was the exception because they did have a lot of dc based content in there a lot more of the comics and stuff that you would expect but if you find them at goodwill or whatever you'll see that there are definitely uh similarities in what welsh publishing was putting out yeah i don't think i ever i ever actually owned it but it sounds like something that i probably thumbed through it like the dentist office that they always had that type of stuff you know next to like the highlights for kids (laughs) (laughs) that sounds familiar can we still subscribe because this sounds fascinating if only (laughs) all right i'm gonna jump into some valiant news i was a big valiant comics fan so this is right up my alley valiant comics has recently introduced a mysterious new hero called the visitor but are teasing that he is not a new character at all instead an existing resident of the valiant universe who has taken a new identity wizard runs their guesses by creative team bernard chang and kevin van hook with guesses like spider alien a toyo harada clone and most wizards own garib sheamus I don't remember who the visitor actually was. I don't mean either. I don't know the answer. Who was the visitor? That was the marketing thing, right? It was like, who is the visitor? (laughs) (laughs) Because this is just as I was getting out when Acclaim took over. It's true. Yeah, it was like right at that tail end of the original run. And yeah, the visitor, because I mean, he looked like an alien. But it seemed like he was just in a costume that disguised his true identity. Was this the first of these type of ploys? Like, uh, as I was just referring to, sort of Ronin and Hawkeye, which came later, I'm pretty sure. Well, there was, like, the Armageddon 2001, or I think... Oh, yes! That, that was, like, the whole thing I could do, but then yes. it leaked, and then they had to <laughs> change it at the last minute. Yes. Who was it? Who it was, was, it was originally Captain it was Hawk, Adam. After all, right? Yeah. Hawk, yeah. And people were just like, really, Hawk? And that's, that, man, they're actually going to be... All right, here we go. But, like... That's going to be played out, apparently, in the Flash series. Oh, neat. Yeah, the new, of course, you know, here we are, jumping decades. <laughs> yeah, that's going to open up the next Flash season five or whatever. Uh, they're jumping right into their crossover, which is going to be Armageddon. So I'm wondering if there's gonna, they're going to toy with that at all. Just so you know, the Visitor was one of the members of Harbinger, named, uh, I got it here, Jeff. Peter Stanchek. Oh, wow. Okay, so Sting, that was leader of the team. Wow, so he was the visitor. That's cool. Thank you, Google. (laughs) (laughs) Took a while, though. Not readily available. I can't say that this came from me. (laughs) (laughs) Kitchen Sink Press announces that Mark Schultz, the creator of Xenozoic Tales, a.k.a. Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, is back to writing and drawing comics now that the syndicated cartoon, based on his work, has completed production. Issue number 13 of the series will be out in 1995, along with one more issue during the year. Not working fast there. No. (laughs) You get two issues this year. Woohoo! I actually just picked up a trade recently at an antique store. It's kind of an oversized Cadillacs and Dinosaurs trade. I'd never read it, just heard of the cartoon and the action figures. And it's pretty fun. I mean, it's just a nice, like, adventure series. They're just little, you know, like, ten-page stories. There's continuity, but it's not, like, all one story, you know? It's like, they all exist in this world, and this person might come back, and then this person might come back, and then this guy gets eaten by a dinosaur, you know? (laughs) Makes you wonder why it took so long. (laughs) 
<laughs> All right, wrapping up. Hart D. Fisher won the lawsuit lobbied against him by the families of the victims of serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer after he published an unauthorized comic book biography about the shocking event. The judge determined that the victim's right to privacy did not survive them, unquote. Basically, if you're dead, people can write whatever they want about you. Fisher himself is still a little pissed off about the money. <laughs> no moral qualms at all. Obviously, he published the comic, but it cost him a lot of time and a lot of money. Jeez. Moral compass seems a little off there. <laughs> Speaking of something that was maybe more on the money, more in the zeitgeist at this time, we're going to get into our table of contents. Ooh, issue 41 with a January 1995 cover date is touted as a 300-page year-end spectacular, which had two fully painted solo X-Men covers featuring Cyclops and Gambit, respectively. And now, according to the Wizard Big Book of Covers, these issues sold so well that the money people upstairs wanted to reuse them the following year to boost sales, which did not happen. The, you know, the editorial team was not on board with that. But also, I think it had a lot to do with the fact that Wizard had more covers and original commissioned art than they knew what to do with. And so these stacks of artwork were the subject of the drawing board feature in this issue. And Wizard actually revealed some original art, like we said, that was commissioned for the magazine. Many just never made it to print. So in the mix, in particular, that stood out to me were three sports-themed card images featuring image heroes. And they were apparently inserted into Collector's Sports Look magazine, which really makes me want to go back and find those issues now, because <laughs> that's awesome. But I'm curious, if you guys got a chance to look through these, is there a particular unused cover or piece of art that stood out to you? Well, I'll jump in. I'll say, first of all, anything that Savage Dragon has is just bananas, because he's punching a dude's head off. He's punching Eric Larson's head off. Oh, really? That's interesting. Ooh. He never yeah, mentioned that when we talked to him. I know. If only we had done this sooner. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, so that I, I find really cool. And then it's Bloodstrike. That jumped out at me only because I'm looking at the dude that looks like Wolverine. Caught my eye. And I'm like, wow, well, well that's... Well, wait, no, no, that's not Wolverine. I, know, I remember seeing that comic and being like, Wolverine? What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. the design's, you know, definitely been recycled over the years for other characters like I, I could see uh, in the female with the mask on she looks like dr polaris from dc so yeah it's interesting how about you oren you know i really love those two john byrne drawings did not next men <clears throat> but the two i don't remember if they were at part of a comic but yeah torch of liberty and golgotha his arch nemesis I, yeah like i think they were part of like danger unlimited but like his backup stories or something like that is how that worked Gotcha. And I'm, I'm with Joe. Dan Frag is art. I have sort of this Pavlovian dog response to image. Whenever I see a Rob Lightfield type art, I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then I'm like, oh, but it looks just like X-Men. But those those ones for me. Mike? Joe stole my answer, basically, which is Savage Dragon, <laughs> because I, I'm total... Uh, Eric Larson head. But I also enjoyed Swan doing the hockey routine because it's funny. I don't I don't know if Greg Capullo is Canadian, but we certainly know that Todd McFarlane is. And so I, I wonder if, if that sports choice came down from the top. Oh, I'm and, sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And and he's like, you, you got to get somebody on on ice skates and who better than a demonic superhero that has nothing to do with ice skating. <laughs> Checking the violator into the boards. Yes. <laughs> I, I got to say, like, I'm not a fan of like Maverick or Omega Red. Like I wasn't huge into X-Men, but just that Mark Texera art is intense. Like it's really just brooding and dark. 
Mark, and it would have mm-hmm. looked great on a cover had they used it. Like, it's the same to me, like, when some of, like, the image characters would show up, and I'd be like, eh, I don't really care about Chapel or whoever, but they look cool on a cover. It, yes. it was a great image. If they just turned up the lighting a bit to see the actual <laughs> faces, that would have been really neat. <laughs> Cheryl so, always had a really rough style, which which I enjoyed, which was very different from a lot of what was going on at the time. And yeah, I remember him painting a lot of his stuff too. Right now, staying on the X Men front, we actually have two major articles focusing on Marvel's Mary Mutants, and the first after Xavier is an interview with Fabian Nicieza and Scott Lobdell about the upcoming Age of Apocalypse storyline that's you know it's shaking up the X Men. There's also a publication timeline of all the X-Men titles over the years. It just runs across the bottom of this like multi-page interview. Remember, this is a 300-page issue. They were not concerned with space. Talk as long as you want. In fact, the interviewer mentions that. He, he starts off by saying, oh, it seemed like Fabian Nicieza wasn't going to say anything. And then he just kept talking. <laughs> Speaking of which, was there a particular quote from one of these guys or just a bit of insight uh, about the X-Books that stood out to you as you read through their conversation? I gotta say, when I, I read this, and I, this, like I said, I was kind of on my way out, but I was so confused with what was going on. There were so many books. I was like, I don't remember any of this, but I like the timeline, and I like when they mentioned, like, honestly, where would Marvel be without the creation of mutants? It's really been a building block for Marvel through the years, and, you know, X-Men really started all that, and it's kind of a, was a game changer. Although it's interesting, because Fabian Nicieza says, he's like, look, they were created in the 60s, they weren't popular really until, like, their zenith until 1981. That was specifically what he put up, I was like, 81? You think so? Okay. <laughs> and then he says, but if it wasn't mutants, it would have been, like, cyber people or something that was, uh, you know, a group of, of that there was prejudiced against and i just thought it was so interesting because fabian deciesa seems to not be interested in the x-men it's just a job because his quote that stood out to me was he says one of my bigger problems with the context of all this is that it's odd to have a world that hates mutants but has no problem with iron man or thor to which then the interviewer responds not at all i argue Iron Man is a human being who uses good old American technology to battle baddies, and Thor has important hair. gonna win that public favor with the hair but how about for you joe was there something that stood out well you know for me uh, this was around the time when i started really kind of exploring other comics so these timelines and i I believe you know there were other issues in wizard that would have similar type of uh, uh, of content in it and i found them to be very interesting because that's the type of stuff that made me want to you know crowd and broaden my horizons as someone at the time i didn't really have a whole heck of a lot of disposable income or really any income for that matter but what i did have or when i did get it you know i would spend it on on comics so this is the type of stuff you know these timelines with the you know outlining what was happening that would pique my interest and in, that would cause me to go and buy old issues yeah wizard was great reference material man it would just like give you that comics history if you were just starting out Oh, it was fantastic. I mean, I would, I, I mean, up until recently, I would, I kept most of this, of these issues. And then uh, sadly, you know, when I had kids, you lack space and they went the way of the buffalo. No! <laughs> How about you, Mike? I have to say, I was also kind of on my way out here at this point from the X-Men. I, I think, <laughs> to your point, even at least one of the writers seemed <laughs> checked out himself. So, 
I think it became so convoluted at this point. Um, they already had such a rich history and complex history. And then adding on top of it, this interdimensional timeline, it's age of apocalypse. I'm like, I it felt like going to school. Like I have to learn all over again who these people are, what happened since uh, last we saw them. And and when you have someone like, um, you know, Fabian with his pull quote here, it's difficult enough to be writing entertainment for an audience that varies from age eight to 48. You have to try to cover as many bases as you possibly can. That does not really speak to me as as a story or anything I want to invest in that has a point of view. It sounds like checking boxes and, you know, trying to f- come up with a four quadrant, uh, you know, home run. Yeah. Um, and you're never going to be able to do that, you know, using that kind of philosophy. So uh, I have to say a little bit turned off. Um, although I know the Marvel Legends toy line is coming out with these, and I'll probably get those. <laughs> <laughs> well, so if you guys weren't super involved at the time of this, what did you guys think of this four-page ad for the Age of Apocalypse in this issue? You know, it starts off with this ominous text about Charles Xavier, you know, and he's dying, all that stuff. And then it goes to this huge two-page splash image that is just like all the characters, just like, you know, a different foreground and all this stuff jumping around and i mean for me i remember seeing that art and blink and sunfire's new look were the two that always like oh that's cool and the other side of it all is a marvel masterpieces piece of apocalypse art by the hildebrandt brothers that's repurposed and that it has this banner on it after xavier the age of apocalypse which was the original working title they were promoting of course when we finally get it everybody just says age of apocalypse but like if you guys saw this at the time do you think it would have gotten you any more excited? Uh, you know, for me, a- as a somewhat noob at the time, uh, you know, I was absolutely aware of, of Wolverine and, you know, what he was about. So I re- actually, I, you know, I think I remember seeing these images, uh, especially of Wolverine and knowing like, well, what the hell happened to his hand? You know, like, <laughs> like he can grow back all this all these parts and get beat to to hell and come back and be fine. So what's the deal with his hand? And I think Wolverine has basically been the, the, the door to comics for many people because, you know, he's, badass and you know you couldn't escape him for a long time so uh just you know seeing that i was like oh i gotta find out more of this yeah i think my response would have just been like oh geez you know i'm an old school guy and when i see all these changes and stuff to things like that i probably just would have been like well that's why i got out of it (laughs) (laughs) Uh, see i'm the opposite i'm always up for an alternate reality a new take you know someone else taking on the mantle all those things so that's what gets me excited then when they go back to the old continuity i'm always like ah (laughs) i don't want to catch up (laughs) i don't want to buy it every month and stay on board Mm -hmm. i know this is just you know happening for a brief moment but speaking of which like talking about the doorway into x-men and comics the second feature a different take is a look at what's to come for the x-men animated series it features interviews with larry houston head writer eric lewald producer joe calamari love that name and uh, editor sharon janice who also edits mighty morphin power rangers they say i was like that's a job but you got to take the american footage and you got to take that limited japanese footage and reuse it like she was a genius anyway i would love to talk to them i mean oh my god i could just spend hours 
on that. Well, they're so available online, you know, on like on Twitter, like they have the the X Men uh, TAS, you know, Twitter handle. You can reach out to them. Like anybody, any of you buy the art of the X Men animated series book? I know that was like a huge thing for a couple weeks there. I did not. No, no. I, I and not, now but... that you've mentioned it, I'm going to have to go do so because <laughs> and let me tell you, if my wife were to know how many times people like you have mentioned stuff like this to me, it just gets me in trouble because we had discussions, you know, back when pandemic was hot and heavy and we were having Zoom chats with each other, you know, us talking about all kinds of stuff. Friends would just mention, hey, Joe, did you see, you know, X, Y, Z? And then three minutes later, it's in my cart on Amazon. So (laughs) thank you for that. Very suggestible. Our gift to you from Wizards. Thank you. But, you know, it was funny. Some of the behind the scenes stuff here that they're talking about, like, I'm assuming we all watch the X-Men animated series. I just started rewatching it, in fact. Oh, cool. And we actually interviewed one of the artists, Bob McLeod, and he actually worked on X-Men and he worked on the Super Friends cartoon. And he was telling us with the Super Friends that they were given a directive, absolutely no violence, no fighting, no arguing, no violence. So if you watch old Super Friends, basically a bad guy does something and they spend the next 15 minutes coming up with a plan to trap him in a net. So when he got (laughs) to do... You know, he was really excited because people could fight. There could be battles. There could be dislike between characters. I think that's what made it so popular with kids. Like, you didn't really dumb it down. Yeah, it's it's interesting because they mentioned here how, like, there were a lot of adult themes, especially regarding prejudice, right? And they said specifically there was an episode with Nightcrawler, and they were having him at odds with people from a village for being in a church but looking like the devil. You know, they're like, they were going to mention that the, the irony was that he was Catholic, but they just thought that was too far. You know, like, it was just a little too much for a kid's cartoon. So I just thought it was so interesting they had to, like walk that line because like you say it really because they didn't dumb it down it appealed to kids so much more i think it's like uh batman the animated series in a way maybe a team version of that they really you know tackled the stories with a lot of seriousness and weight as opposed to like you say dumbing it down and uh i think it was appreciated and to that nightcrawler story i believe they uh, in x-men 2 Men United, I'm trying to figure out, <laughs> colons and all that stuff. You know, I think they went a little farther into exploring the right. sort of religious details of uh, Nightcrawler. They had him in the church and I think referred to as Catholicism. Mm-hmm. This is sort of a forerunner uh, of that, that, you know, maybe without the animated series, there wouldn't be sort of that template for uh, movies later on. Yeah. I mean, the big difference for me between X-Men and Batman, the animated series, was just the quality of art. Because the X-Men art was always terrible. The animation was yeah. bad. And they talk about that in here, like just getting into like these foreign animation studios. They were kind of jumping around trying to find one that wouldn't mess it up. And there was an entire episode at like the one character in particular, Lady Deathstrike, had to be redrawn in every scene because she was topless the whole episode. Oh, wow. And they even had, yeah, they had to delay one of the early episodes because Magneto was shirtless and they had to go send it back to the animation studio and redo it. So they had something going on over there. Yeah. When we, uh, when we talked to, uh, Bob McLeod, he meant, you know, we discussed the animation and, you know, how there was a, a significant difference from, you know, one season till the next. Yeah. And, you know, he just went off and he's like, yeah, they were just outsourcing, you know, the, the animation for that last season and it would just did it in completely the thing that stuck out about that cartoon to me 
was the continuity. You know, up until that point, there really wasn't, in terms of cartoons, every episode of any cartoon was pretty much a one-off. Yeah. So, but ever ever since like the very first episode, there were themes and storylines that carried throughout the entire show, and I thought that was quite unique. So even if you missed one, you'd be like, "Oh no, this is like a real comic. What happened?" Previously on X Men. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Very much more serialized storytelling yes, rather than sort of episodic, which I thought was cool. And the last thing I found really interesting was that they talk about the character of Morph. I actually have that action figure over here on my shelf. He always stood out to me from those first few episodes. And they yeah. said that he was based on a real character named Changeling, who I didn't know anything about, you know. But apparently the producers and Fox decided just to avoid any possible legal trouble with DC Comics with their Changeling character from Teen Titans, who most everybody calls Beast Boy. But originally he was the Changeling, I believe, and he was part of Doom Patrol and all this stuff. So it's just really interesting because I didn't know that history. I remember Morph. I thought he was a character created for the series. So since I started rewatching it, I'm only on like episode three of the first season. Boy, am I glad they killed off Morph. <laughs> I, I go back and watch those episodes like what his voice whoever did the voice acting i hope knew that he was gonna die early on and he just uh, spoilers by the way for anyone who's not seen the 20 year old series um oh, must have known and he's just like let's make this guy as annoying as possible so that nobody misses him and they're like excited he's gone and they could get on to other stuff yeah see i was a goofy kid and everybody was so angsty on that show so to me any source of humor, somebody who was overtly trying to inject comedy into the scenario, was my hero. Which is why when I got the figure, I'm like, yeah, morph! Woohoo! I don't know what to do with them. I'll tell some jokes. <laughs> do some bad impressions. I can see that. Now, now I feel bad, and I feel like the Prince of Darkness. <laughs> way to go mike going from television to the big screen this is a monumental issue because this is the debut of one of the most popular ongoing wizard features ever casting call as the wizard staff gives their picks for who should play the live action x-men based on the talent that was available in hollywood in the 90s so let's let's go through this a little bit here as we look at who was available to play uh, the character so they think so first off with cyclops michael bean from the terminator and aliens what do you guys think about that i oh, would i would buy that I, yeah. I could deal with that i don't have a problem with that either for colossus they had dolph lundgren which sure he's yeah. chiseled sure yeah. put some silver paint on him of course they called it there was only ever one choice in history there was no one else who ever could have played professor x patrick stewart I mean, mm -hmm. it's just, yes, and then it happened, because, of course, yeah. it happened. But they also grabbed another Star Trek The Next Generation cast member, Michael Dorn, who played Worf, to be Bishop. So I think, you know, nerds who enjoyed the show would be like, yes, you know, here they are together. What do you think about that? You know, like, okay, now I'm looking at it, and I'm like, okay, fine. You know, maybe he could have pulled it off, but trying to think back to that time, like, you know, who else could have done that? Was Wesley Snipes doing it like was this after white man can't jump i mean was he was he around you know this yeah i mean he was his... doing passenger 57 already? and all that kind of stuff i think this was pre-blade blade, blade yeah it's, it's pre-blade like... but he was working on a black panther film probably around this time trying to get it off the ground so that would have made sense yeah yeah especially given well 
Now that we saw him in uh, the sequel to Coming to America, where he has an African <laughs> yeah. accent, uh, right. you know that that could that could have worked. I find it interesting to you know the place that Bishop had in the team that he's on the first page. Uh, if you if you were doing a casting call today for X Men, of course there have been so many movies. Bishop would maybe be in the index. I, yeah. I don't know where else he would have been. But well, yeah, I, I think like they wanted you to keep here. turning the pages, Mike. They wanted to be like, you can't give it all away on page one. That's you can't put right. Wolverine on there. Everybody's like, well, who's going to play Wolverine? You got to get to the middle for that. So turning the page here for Gambit, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Just, yeah. Just do yeah. it. Do it, yeah. <laughs> go see Hard Target. Yeah, there you go. Yes. For Psylocke, Tia Carrere, who would later be like cast as like she and stuff. People were saying like, oh yeah, she should play she. But at this time, let her be Psylocke. Yeah, I'd buy that. Final ways world, yeah. Uh, Storm, they wanted Mrs. David Bowie, as they call her, but a supermodel named Iman, who I remember she was in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, as a shapeshifter. Yes. yes. So she would have been great. I thought she had some good intensity in that movie. I, I think she would have been great for this if for no other reason her accent and her, you know, long hair, obviously, because really no one in any version of the X-Men movies has played her with that type of accent. And when they did, it was gone by the next movie. Yeah. Halle Berry never played her quite as regal as I always no. saw Storm should be. Yeah. Right. Right. I agree. Next up for Jean Grey, they think Nicole Kidman. That's an interesting choice. I mean, it's like, it's kind of like, yes, put her in anything, I guess. <laughs> okay. All right. Sure. Yeah. Now, the big one here, though, for Wolverine, Glenn Danzig. Yes. <laughs> Shut up and take my money. <laughs> the He's intensity. Not that jack, dude. At the time, He's he was. A dude, at the time, but he wasn't like WWF yeah, stuff. Well, neither is Wolverine. Give him a you gym know, membership. You know, Hugh yeah. Jackman got jacked, man. Yeah, but, exactly. You know, but hey, you know, Wolverine is small. He's hairy, and so is Danzig. Yeah, he's he's got it. I mean, I'm I'm a Misfits fan. I like some Danzig and his solo yeah. stuff. But for me, like originally, like, issue seven of Wizard, they did a casting call and they said Robert De Niro. Yeah, and you that's... know what? Robert De Niro could have been interesting, like his intensity levels. But I, it's like Glenn Danzig feels like he just is Wolverine all the right. time. Right. <laughs> but... right. Yeah. Did Danzig act in anything? Well, that's the thing. He he was on an episode of, of Portlandia. He did a joke. <laughs> he produces comics. <laughs> he he produces independent horror comics and uh, some like horror movies. So he, he's pretty good when it, I, I buy that. Now, next up, though, is like a, another case of just ideal casting probably inspired the character to begin with. And that is Clint Eastwood as Cable. I think that would be cool. Yeah, with, with all the gear on, you could put anybody. They don't have to be buff, you know? Right. That's <laughs> true. Yeah, I, I think that'd be interesting. Yeah, get off my lawn. Come on. Mike, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not feeling this one. Uh, no. You know, he, he, <sighs> I feel like he was too old. Even back then. That was like 20 years ago. He already looks old. <laughs> Ageism. This is true. I don't want any old people in my comic book movies. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, so we, now it's interesting you say that because obviously we got an old Magneto when Sir Ian McKellen played him in the, the X-Men films, but their choice for Magneto was much younger and hunkier. They thought Rutger Hauer, which works because Magneto, you know, has the German history and all of that. Rutger Hauer is German. So that could have actually been pretty cool. His, just because he's got that that evil like intent always, always on his face it seems <laughs> any man who could star in blind fury at anything and to me rucker Hauer as magneto is absolutely perfect now the one that caught me off guard but is another case of like yes the kurgan oh, you know yeah. clancy brown as Sabretooth. that would have been intense Oh, dude. I, I mean, I know Oren is with me on this as two huge Highlander fans. I mean, the, you put Clancy Brown in anything, I'm going to buy. So <laughs> I, I am all in for this. He could read the phone book and I'd probably be like, eh, maybe we're <laughs> yeah. In the Patrick from SpongeBob SquarePants voice. Yes. <laughs> it would have been a choice. <laughs> Somewhere Tyler Maine is having one teardrop going down. <laughs> While he bangs his face into some steel bars. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, next here, the White Queen. Yes, they thought should be played by Rebecca De Mornay. And I'm just like, okay, I was trying to think of another, like, British actress from that time who could have done it. But, I mean, as long as it is not the gal who played her in X-Men First Class, I think everybody's yeah. fine. Yeah, I, <laughs> I agree. January yeah. Jones. Yeah, right? no, no. Yeah, I agree. She, yeah, she has a right iciness, but definitely not British. Yeah. <laughs> De Mornay was popular at the time, too. I mean, she was a hot, you know, yeah. in, in, for movies. What about taking Nicole Kidman and putting her as yes. the white Ooh. queen? I mean, they were casting based on hair, it seemed. <laughs> and white dresses. But I think Nicole Kidman could have done it. <laughs> yeah. For the juggernaut. Oh, I mean, this is, you know, pretty awesome. He was on Boy Meets World a lot at this time, but the man called Vader. Rest in peace. One of the stiffest wrestlers. Leon, as you float through the heavens. <laughs> <laughs> doing moon salts on angels we we miss you yeah no, I, I think this is a really really strong choice their casting choices were really spot on for the most part so no wonder this feature continues this was my my one of my favorite parts of wizard ever i would just it would be one of the things i would flip to first is the casting for any movie because i'm surprised it debuted here so late yeah. i remember it as being almost from the beginning but i yeah, it took a couple of years. <laughs> they just needed to fill space at a 300-page issue, and they said, well, yeah. let's cast the movie. Happy Halloween, geeks! Yes, the spooky season is upon us, and have we got a treat for you. How about 20% off at HalloweenCostumes.com? Why HalloweenCostumes.com? Because they have the biggest and best selection of costumes, accessories, and decorations for your Halloween celebration. No kidding. They have the absolute best-looking She-Hulk and Rogue costumes we've seen anywhere, and many more amazing costumes exclusive to HalloweenCostumes.com. For the fellas, there's Jim Lee-style Cyclops and Gambit, your choice of Wolverine in classic blue and yellow, or the brown costume complete with arm hair? Huh? They've got you covered for DC Heroes too with the classic Shazam, the dynamic duo of Adam West Batman and Yvonne Craig Batgirl, or even a CW Green Arrow. Whether you want comics accurate or ripped from the silver screen, 
Their enormous selection of costumes and accessories has you covered. Best of all, you can get these costumes for a great price by using the link in the episode description. Yes, your buddies at Wizards are hooking you up. Just click the link and a 20% discount will automatically be applied to one item in your cart. The offer is valid through November 6th, 2021. So get on it, geeks, and visit HalloweenCostumes.com. If you weren't sick of the mutants just yet, it's in the cards is an interview with the artists of the heavily promoted Fleer Ultra X-Men 95 trading card set. I had 150 fully painted cards by artists like Boris Vallejo, his wife Julie Bell, the Hildebrandt brothers, and sculptor Tom Taggart, among others. Did you guys collect this set where you, you said baseball cards earlier did you also did that transfer to the comic cards for me it did but i hate to say not this set i remember the original marvel set yeah the marvel universe cards the marvel universe cards i think i may still have them and then when it got to this painted set either i was just sort of out of it or there was something about them that just didn't seem as cool i kind of wanted just the regular comic art rather than uh, more painterly sophisticated style ditto oh really see because i was always in like marvel masterpieces like as soon as they started painting these characters i was all in i'm actually looking at my binder right now i just pulled it out and i must have only bought like five or six packs i don't have like you know a full set by any means but like even the ones featured in this article like the domino and like the albert robot wolverine and all these characters i'm like wow i I know these guys i've seen all these before and in fact there was a subset of the x-men at the beach as part of this series and it is hilarious yeah Yeah. (laughs) wolverine is cooking hot dogs on his claws (laughs) right as one does yeah (laughs) i didn't i I held on to them i would get them and i would hold on to them and i i wasn't a big card collector but i i appreciated the artwork you know at the time i had you know lofty goals of expanding my art horizons and i would try to sketch and draw just you know it was terrible but you know i would hold on to them for a few months and stuff and then after a while they would just be tossed for whatever reason well hey you know if it wasn't about cards maybe we're getting back to comics because the next feature here is the ultimate comic book stress test by john seals and it is one of the wackiest features to date in the magazine as the author of this article pits old and new comic books against each other in themed endurance tests so damage is inflicted you know by the jaws of a canine or lawnmowers or fire train tracks swimming pools just even more ludicrous scenarios so i'm curious which of these tests cracked you guys up the most just by sheer concept i gotta say i anytime i see a comic book get damaged i become very angry (laughs) monkeying around like this i was like you know some kid probably would have enjoyed reading that comic so i just i couldn't get through it i'm just like why why would you do this like (laughs) donate it to somebody don't mess with them i mean i gotta say for me magnus lawnmower fighter where he buried comics and then ran over them with the lawnmower. I, I just mowed the lawn this morning. It's very fresh in my mind, <laughs> but just cracked me up. You know, I have to say I'm with Oren. So I've been on both sides of it. You know, prior to my uh, Death of Superman days, I did get a stack of the original G.I. Joe run from a neighbor. And I, I'm not going to I didn't throw him out, but I gave him to someone else. And at the time I was like, yeah, pff, I don't need him. Get got rid of him. 
now I would probably would have slapped that person for, you know, like, why would I do that? That's stupid. I've since got him back. But yeah, just th- this type of thing really, it, it irks me. Sorry. This is, I was not expecting this reaction. This is amazing. Yeah. So, and, you know, we're, we're looking at it through a different lens. We're looking at it through middle-aged men who are collecting out of appreciation for the artwork, for the, for the medium, for the people that go, you know, that create it. And, you know, now we're, we probably talk to our, our younger selves and just say, don't be stupid. <laughs> like we're all there. just cynical old men right now. Yeah, that too. <laughs> I, it reminds me, I have to say, um, the, the part that I enjoyed about it is that it reminded me of a humor magazines that I used to work on in college. And I think this one, I went to Emory in Atlanta and it wasn't the Harvard Lampoon, but we had the Emory Spoke magazine and we would do on a shoestring budget, put together a parody of, you know, different magazines back then. It was like like a wedding magazine or if you remember George, the political magazine from JFK Jr. And this just seems like the type of thing we would have done. However, in Wizard, <laughs> with a lot of other things to get to, um, it, it seems a little uh, discordant, I'd say. And but <laughs> maybe smacks of a little bit of a filler for three and trying to get 300 pages. Yeah, exactly. You you guys are probably not alone. I'm sure there were a lot of people reading at the top. You're like, no, 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 no. You know, like, just like, can't handle it. But uh, let's move on then. We don't want to cause you any more trauma. This article called Looking Ahead spotlights the projects from each major publisher that are coming up in the new year. But to me, most interesting are the sidebars, like one which gives updates on announced projects that didn't come out in 1994 but we're supposed to so stuff like world's finest next generation featuring a team up by superboy and robin the big guy and rusty the boy robot from legend creators frank miller and jeff darrow uh the nocturnals by dan brereton and basically everything from continuity comics which went on hiatus during the summer of 1994 uh but also included there's another sidebar called out of the game which is a list of publishers who went out of business business in 1994 including as we covered last episode jim shooter's defiant axis comics by the now dissolved partnership of larry stroman and todd johnson they couldn't keep their tribe together ominous press by bart sears which actually it just relaunched this last year like they have a website now and he is producing stuff again and i was like huh under the ominous press banner and then also longtime indie publisher Eclipse Comics. Uh, were you guys reading any of the books from these publishers back in the 90s? Did news of their closing affect you emotionally in any way? Warriors of Plasm from Jim oh, Shooter's The Yes. Planet. I only remember the name and the green gooey guys on the cover. I have no recollection of what it was about. Um, so I don't think it really necessarily affected me. <laughs> uh, that much. I don't know about you guys. Let me learn you guys something. Eclipse Comics <laughs> was, was for this one. some really wonderful stuff in the 80s. Um, Crossfire, uh, my dad bought me a whole bunch of Airboys. They were really, I mean, for independent books going on uh, in the 80s, they were doing some really good stuff. But I mean, it's it's tough to compete, and you know a lot of talents are going other places. So I, I will say I, I I pour a little out for Eclipse Comics. They they did a lot of great stuff in the '80s, and uh, just, just the way the cookie crumbles. 
Well, 8 to the 4 is looking to the future of the industry now as they take 8 underrated artists, including Rags Morales, Mike Parabek, Daryl Banks, Mike Weringo, Travis Charest, J. Scott Campbell, Doug Mankey, and Aaron Lepresti. Uh, so these are the ones that they say, hey, these are the guys to watch. They're on big books now. What do you think? Do you guys have a particular fandom or fondness for any of these artists listed? I do. First and foremost, Rags Morales. I absolutely loved the artwork he did in the Identity Crisis storyline yeah. was just amazing. So that's a uh, story arc was like the beginning of a series of story arcs in DC that I think really started to propel them back to comic prominence, if you will, because they were in a rut for a while. So it was, uh, you know, Identity Crisis, Infinite Crisis, the whole, you know, Green Lantern Rebirth, et cetera, et cetera. But his artwork in that in that story, it was just absolutely beautiful. It like it just evoked so much emotion. When uh Elongated Man's wife is killed and he's holding her, he's melting while weeping. Uh yeah. but she's dead. And then the si- similar situation when um uh Robin's father gets killed and Batman's just holding him. And they're just breaking down like you just felt the emotion like there was no text needed. You knew what was going on. And I thought his art was absolutely amazing. Aura, do you have a favorite on this list? You know, I'm I'm going to say, well, first, Daryl Banks, because he was on our show and we'll yes. have an episode with him soon. And he's a very sweet man. And I really liked his art on Green Lantern. And also for me, Travis Charis, man, like he was putting out some. Real cool stuff with Detective Comics, Batman, Dark Stars was cool. I'm using the word cool a lot, but I just really enjoyed <laughs> his work. You know, if, when I saw his covers, uh, I had to pick them up. One of those guys, I always wonder, like, you know, what kind of happened to him? Because I stopped, you know, of course, stopped following for a while. So I don't know if he continued on. But, uh, man, his his stuff was really hitting on all cylinders. I completely agree. Huge fan of Travis. I, you know, Cheris? Cheris? I'm not sure how you pronounce it. You, you use the French... Uh... Yeah, Rob Liefeld said on his podcast he heard it's pronounced Cheris. So thank Chere. you, Rob. Oh. <laughs> Do you think he's being truthful or do you think he's just like... <laughs> Trying to be fancy. <laughs> so yeah, I, I mean, just amazing. I, I, I think he's still doing stuff, but I, I remember he got so detailed and I think became, uh, you know, I may be talking out of turn, but very much perfectionist that it was very difficult for him to keep on a any kind of monthly schedule. So I think it's mostly covers. But I remember him from Wildcats picking up after Jim Lee and just phenomenal, you know, drafting there. Definitely Daryl Banks and what Joe said on Rags. I just pick out his Mike Waringo. I mean, he was a he, he was a great. I think his uh, run on Fantastic Four just solid comic booky illustrations and just really saturated with color and and a very you know it just it just sings when he's on when he was on his game. It was uh, it was a great thing to behold. Yeah. Now, I know for me personally, at this time, J. Scott Campbell meant the most to me. I mean, he was the ultimate because I was a devoted Gen 13 reader. Mm-hmm. Um, but I read The Mask Omnibus on Comixology a few years back, and I really have an appreciation for the detail and just the berserker madness of the Doug Mankey art. Like, I just, I love his work, and it is just, it's so fresh and exciting to look at every time, you know? So, 
of course it's the mask so it's going to be wacky but it's just Mm -hmm. (laughs) he also did a lot of stuff i think the dark horse like comics greatest world he did like a few issues of different things and i think x and stuff like that i was like oh this is pretty good I, i like what he's doing my wife got me a series of buffy the vampire slayer artwork by J. Scott Campbell. I think you can you can actually find, you know, probably those versions online. It's all done in his style that has all the the main characters, you know, in a nice kind of collage. But I love I mean, his artwork is fantastic if for no other reason the man can appreciate the female form <laughs> but he's also just the, the expressive natures the creativity he gets yeah. with like the expressions on faces i love it you know it's so Very good much so. yeah now uh the next article here round table i feel like it's a bit misleading because it doesn't seem that any of these comics pros were ever in the same room together they weren't around a table <laughs> but it is the group of 90s comics royalty at this time but also some old dogs you know you had like jim shooter archie goodwin peter david john byrne and then like these new kids on the blocks who's this alex ross guy paints nice and jeff smith and greg capullo oh, he's gonna be drawn spawn good for him and even <laughs> eric larson you know he's pretty established at this point but the panel are asked their opinions about different topics like work for hire contracts and creator own publishing the importance of an editor and things like that so was there a particular question and response that stood out to you guys as you read through with what they decided to share i just think it was interesting because it, it was such a hot topic at the time and in very what my way still is talking about creator own projects and the importance of them and how you know, for so many of these folks, owning your own character, you know, in some ways ensured you a better payday. So, you know, it kind of got kicked off a bit with Epic, Marvel, Story, yeah, and then, uh, of course, Image. So I, I thought that was an interesting to see. For me, it's always Alex Ross. So, like, his comment about uh, the uh, style of artwork uh, for pre-adolescent style, I guess, geez, I'm going to kind of mutilate what he said but his comment about what what fans want in comic art or something to that effect and his comment about you know pre-adolescent artwork or something to that effect and coming from him that really is is quite interesting because he has a very sophisticated way of doing his art i mean you know you can't see it here because we're this is a podcast but you know i'm surrounded by uh, alex ross artwork in my, in my uh, office Yeah, specifically, he said the publishers feel the only type of material that will sell is pre-adolescent fantasy for boys. Yeah, 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 that's BS, but yeah. I mean, that'll sell, but there's other stuff that'll sell. (laughs) Right, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I love the fact that Greg Capullo is, uh, uh, you know, one of the new guys because he is just a rock star now. Peter David, who's one of my favorite writers, I thought interesting when they gave one of these questions about, you know, who's the most important uh, member of the team in comic book process. And he, despite being a writer, gave it to the artist and saying, you know, this is ultimately a visual medium and, you know, I can help guide sort of the story. But if something looks like a uh, part of my French dog shit, um, you know, people are not going to buy it. Yeah. I, I thought that was a really strong point that he, and the fact that he could, yeah, just recognize it, right? Very humble in some ways from a guy who's not usually very humble. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. I thought that too. And then um, Eric Larson had an interesting point about the lack of surprise in comics, and uh, I think he was really pointing to, you know, this process of uh, the previews catalog, and anybody can see anything a few months in advance. But I think it's just um, in general, kind of 
become more and more of a concern is that things are just not surprising. They're either telegraphed from a mile away or you're able to sort of, uh, you know, see them through the Internet because everybody's talking about everything all the time. And I thought that was kind of a prescient comment. Yeah, and I, I like at the end they said, what do you plan to do to make comics better in 1995? And I really appreciated what Joe Duffy said, because she said, I'd like to do everything I can to convince people that it is a pointless waste of everybody's time and energy to be constantly picking fights with each other. <laughs> because we've seen that like in the pages of Wizard, like these artists and writers and editors and everybody just taking shots at each other all the time. She's like, guys, let's just get along and do good work. And it makes sense. Finally here, Speak Up is a feature that is returning after a many-issue absence where they basically just interview comics readers at various stores and ask them their opinions on things. And in this case, it's basically just, what do you read? What do you buy? And it's interesting because it's people from like 11 to like 55 years old or something, you know? It's like, so there's a very wide swath and the responses are incredibly diverse. You know, it's stuff like Battle Angel, Alita, Doom 2, 2099 and then barbie comics you know it's just like <laughs> all sorts of stuff going on but then what i noticed you know x-men and batman are clearly the front runners for most mentions you know it feels like nothing has changed there but bone got a few mentions as well there's actually an offer for a bone 13 half in this issue, uh, which we actually have in the archives here. It's a fun little story here, which actually on the cover it says, a postmodern neo-retro deconstructed docudramedy. <laughs> and then you have uh, Phony Bone going, uh, come on, kids, it's fat-packed with infotainment. <laughs> so it's a very fun little issue there. But did you guys notice any trends as well as you were seeing what everybody's responses were or particular titles that jumped out at you? I think you hit on the head with X-Men, man. I mean, it was that was just the hottest book. And, you know, I looked at the New York area. I think they mentioned, like, Wolverine and X-Men. And I just remember growing up down here, Westchester, it, it was all over the place, X-Men. Maybe the trend was fragmentation, right? Maybe you're starting to see already that there are fans that are just kind of all over the map and it's not sort of a monolithic audience anymore and uh, people are buying what they want to buy. And so you're starting to see, you know, little micro groups and you know, fandoms uh, that would just sort of start to splinter even more as, as we got, through the rest of that um, decade and into the 2000s. Yeah, very true. It actually also just as true in the world of motion pictures. Guys, I think it's time we jump into Heroes in Motion. Wizard provides a retrospective on all the comic book movies and TV news from the year in a month-to-month -month format. For example, regarding Batman Forever, Wizard reveals that Michael Keaton was unhappy with the lack of screen time for his character in the script and requested $15 million to return to the role. So Val Kilmer was cast instead and signed a three-picture deal. But as we know, Kilmer dropped out after a single appearance in the Batsuit. Have you guys seen that Val Kilmer documentary on Amazon yet? Yeah. It's cool, but it's very short on Batman. He's basically just like, I couldn't move in the costume. They just told me to stand places. I didn't get to act. Okay, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> 
wanted to do the saint because I got to play characters. Yeah, I heard the documentary's great though. Huh? Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna, gonna cool. check it out. Well, regarding the new Iron Man and Fantastic Four animated series, Wizard states the Marvel Action Hour debuted with an embarrassing showing with subpar animation and celebrity voices that have no place in the show. The series, which is not popular with fans, will hopefully go the way of disco. <laughs> Do you guys agree? <laughs> At the time, look, I I think a lot of us would consume anything as long as it was, you know, of that of that you know, medium, because, you know, we didn't have much to go by. It was like either Batman or Superman and, you know, whatever else we can get our hands on. Yeah. Discerning is not the word I'd use for my viewing habits, especially yeah. on Saturday morning cartoons. <laughs> right. Speaking of lackluster in animated projects, Wizard says of the Wildcats cartoon, quote, although the show was strongly hyped, the overall product disappointed most fans of the image comic book with undetailed animation and juvenile stories, unquote. Did you guys ever tune into Wildcats? Never saw it. Never did. No. I don't but think so. I find it very surprising that a cartoon show would be juvenile. <laughs> I think because the Ghibli artwork seemed so sophisticated and intense for the time, they expected that would translate to the cartoon series. That if he had done it on MTV, probably, but not when it's a syndicated show for Saturday mornings. You right. Know? Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look what they did with the Max. Yeah. Sam Keith's art really yeah. sort of translated, and uh, I don't know what, what the process was that they got it that way, but I mean, it was that was certainly stellar. But yeah, Wildcats, not so much. <laughs> and I will wrap things up with, it is reported that Dark Horse Comics is writing the success of The Mask and Time Cop to produce new films based on their publications in Hollywood. Specifically cited is Tank Girl, which does eventually make it to theaters, <laughs> though far from a blockbuster and I do own the soundtrack to it, though I've never seen the movie. Wow, interesting. Why? What 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 band brought you into the soundtrack? I think like Bjork was on it, and a few other like alternative bands at the times. And I was just like, well, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> I just watched it on Amazon Prime the other night for the first time. I was like, yeah. I mean, it's it's entertaining. It's not cool. I mean, I think it wanted to be cool, but it's it's wacky enough, you know, so. It's a movie. <laughs> but, you know, we talked about the hype there for the Wildcats, not, you know, really working out, but let's see what other hype is going on for Jim and Todd's Hype Machine. So, there is an ad in this issue for Collector's Expo 94, taking place in San Diego on December 9th through 11th. It is being called the first ever ImageCon, touting 10,000 square feet of Image Comics. They will also feature appearances by Todd McFarlane and Greg Capullo. No Jim Lee, but J. Scott Campbell and Trevor Scott from Wildstorm. No Rob Liefeld, huh? But Dan Fraga and Marat Michaels uh, from Extreme Studios. Top Cow Productions participants are to be announced. <laughs> Maybe Mark will show up. Who knows? Plus, no Eric Larson or Jim Valentino or Wills Portasio or Dale Keown or Sam Keith. So it's more like Todd Expo 94. It's like, yeah, Todd will be there, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and it even seemed like he had something to do with it. You know, we talked about the sports earlier. They say MLB superstar Tony Gwynn is going to be there for some reason at this comic convention. Leave Tony Gwynn alone. <laughs> <laughs> I think he must have literally just lived down the street from the convention center because they're like he played for the Padres in San yeah. Diego. They're like Tony, come on over, buddy. 
<laughs> now, Todd's ego column uh, this month is a comparison of 1993, where comics themselves were the hot sales item that led to a glut of publishers popping up. And then in 1994 is now more about comic book characters dominating in other mediums you know that he cites specifically the mask was based on an indie comic and it was a huge hit in theaters wildcats the tick the marvel action hour that's two hours of new comic book cartoon programming on television and according to todd a fan might now spend his six dollars on an action figure instead of the comic books on which the toys are based you guys think about that yeah, I was going to say something really nasty, but this shit is definitely not six dollars. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was making the bank over there and he's just like, yeah, they're buying action figures now, guys, not the comics. Yeah, I'm still <laughs> still saving up for that Metallica box set of, uh, you know, it's like five hundred dollars nowadays. But oh, is it really? <laughs> yeah, it's bananas, man. Now, uh, Jim Lee and Bone creator Jeff Smith decided to trade art, with Lee doing a pinup on an undetermined issue of Bone, and Smith offering a cover for Wildcat's Adventure Sourcebook, based on the cartoon, that would be in his style, which fits. Why? Because they discovered at conventions that there was a big crossover between Bone and Wildcat's fans. What? Huh? <laughs> okay, if you guys say so. Uh, but I think it, this has to be the origin of Jeff Smith moving Bone over to Image, don't you think? You couldn't That's... imagine two polar opposite books. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, Maybe they're goodness. just trying to appeal to a larger audience. That's, you know. I mean, they're both comics, so they're printed on paper. <laughs> <laughs> that is the definition of lowest common denominator. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, as we get to our tally in this issue, Jim Lee has eight mentions. Todd McFarlane, 10 mentions. Now, as of last issue, Todd had beaten Jim Lee. Finally, he had won the prize of getting the most mentions of Wizard Magazine. So with our total here, has it changed? Jim Lee, now at 251 mentions. Todd McFarlane, holding strong with 254. Oh, all right, Todd. Keep it up, buddy. <laughs> Competition's heating up. Yeah. Jim Lee was on sabbatical at this time, officially, so he wasn't really producing anything, just his studio was, so it's a little unfair, but whatever it takes, you know, if some guy drops out, you pull ahead. <laughs> Ruthless. Hey, those are good numbers if you're taking time off. <laughs> but speaking of numbers, I think it's time to close out here with oh, a couple of yucks, guys. Yes, it's time for Turok's Top Ten. Alright, so what we have this time around are the top 10 real reasons Marvel is canceling all the X-Men titles. Number 10, the coin landed on Tails. <laughs> Once again, maybe not such a passion project. Uh, I got number 9, new editorial staff having trouble spelling X. <laughs> number 8, Excelsior is Latin for boy we've milked this baby dry sounds like you guys maybe felt that way at the time yeah, <laughs> yeah. powdered milk <laughs> um number seven unannounced zero hour epilogue 
that insulting to Zero Hour, I guess? Yeah, insulting to Zero Hour. It's so bad. And what, what if it was a big deal, which it obviously isn't. <laughs> uh, number six, Evil Monkeys. I, I will mention that monkeys came up in a previous top ten and also were in a contest. They love the monkeys at Wizard. You should keep track of that along with Todd and Jim. Uh, yeah. References. <laughs> the monkey meter. <laughs> Number five, Marvel inter-office game of Truth and Dare got way, way out of control. Though this does explain the spider clone and fantastic force. <laughs> Not going to miss an opportunity to diss the spider clone. <laughs> Uh, number four, euthanasia. What? <laughs> hey, look, that's a good reason to cancel Weird. anything. It's it's dark, <laughs> man. It's dark. <laughs> number three, assistant editors month never really ended. Okay. That's insulting to assistant editors. Yeah. Number two, to see if anyone would notice. And number one, because the whole idea of an alternate dimension, time travel alternate reality version of X-Men was something new, something that had never been done before. I sense sarcasm. Yes, heavy, <laughs> heavy sarcasm. Wow, well, I think you guys brought more laughs than the top ten list, so we thank you for being a part of this episode, for bringing your history and your opinions, and yeah, again, sorry you had uh, all the trauma of seeing those comics destroyed. <laughs> I think I think we're in a good place now where you can move on with our lives and really just kind of think about me now. Yeah. <laughs> well, why don't you guys go ahead and tell the people where they can find Dollar Bin Bandits and what cool guests you have lined up. All right. I'll take this one. So we are on all podcast platforms, all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Amazon, what have you. You can find us uh, by searching for Dollar Bin Bandits. We are also on YouTube. Most of our episodes uh, are filmed. Some are audio only, but you can find that also by searching YouTube Dollar Bin Bandits. We are also on social like most people are nowadays. So you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, at Dollar Bin Bandits, or on Twitter. This one's a little bit different, DB Bandits. So we'd love to uh, hear from you. We'd love for you to take a listen on the podcast and take a look on YouTube and, yeah, hit us up on social. All right. Well, yeah, definitely check them out, guys. And, of course, if you're loving what we're doing over here on Wizards, be sure to follow us on social media, at Wizards Comics on Twitter, at Wizards underscore comics on Instagram, YouTube as well, doing all sorts of stuff. Is it is it Longbox Roulette? Is it Action Figure Fury? Are we reuniting Wizards staff members after all these years to get them to share the old stories? Oh, that and more. Uh, but, of course, also, we have all these different series we have the wizard files with these people who created wizard magazine who i will tell you coming up next we have andrew carden who uh, was a managing editor he was there from 1999 from wizard 100 all the way until the very end of the magazine so you're gonna want to tune in for that one and find out what is he gonna tell us about the demise of wizard what was it really all about and with that until next time keep your books bagged and boarded This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.